To all of the Warriors fans, today's message is called Dealing with Disappointment. It sort of is a little bit, but no, it's not the actual title. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, that's where we're going to be. That's where we're up, up to in the book of Philippians. Um, before we get there, I don't know if you've ever had one of those moments where um, you realised you lost sight of what really mattered. Have you ever had one of those moments where you just... Uh, realize you lost sight of what really mattered. I, I feel like as a parent, you get many opportunities to have those moments. You're like, you're trying to rush the kids somewhere. I, I think for one, for one of our things is like, for me, has been learning around holiday time or getting ready to go camping. Camping's supposed to be this time where you're spending quality time together with the family. It's like, hey, we're having family time. It's gonna be so good. And then it's like, get your stuff packed. Get it in the car. Hurry up, you know, like, we, and, and uh, so dad work on. It's easy to lose sight of what really matters in our lives of faith, in our lives of serving the Lord, in our lives of following Jesus for the longevity of our life. It's easy to lose sight of what really matters. And uh, I, I think if we can grab a hold of some of what Philippians 3, chapter 1, uh, chapter 3, verse 1 through 11 is going to tell us, so it's going to help us hold on to what matters above all else through every season of life. So let's read it. Um, that, that's a good place to sort of begin, I think. It says in chapter 3, verse 1, whatever, you could underline that word if you've got your physical Bible here because it's going to come back to that. Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things and I do it to safeguard your faith. Paul wants us to go for the long haul. Watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. All of the guys are thankful right now. For we who worship, especially if you came to know Jesus as an adult, for we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. Praise the Lord. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. Though Paul says, if I could have confidence in my own effort, I could have confidence if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, in their own excellence, in their own goodness, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. Good Jewish boy. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and I'm a member of the tribe of Benjamin. That's up there in the list of the tribes. A real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees. They were hardcore committed who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Paul had nailed it, it turns out. And I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless. Worthless because of what Christ has done. My goodness is nothing compared to Christ's goodness, in other words. Yes, everything else is worthless. Everything else, not just all the things he listed, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake, I've disregarded everything else, counting it all as garbage 
so that I could gain Christ and become one with Him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with Himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. And I want to experience the mighty power that raised Him from the dead. I want to suffer with Him. I want to share even in death so that one way or another, I'll experience the resurrection of the dead. Let's go back to the start. Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Does he really mean whatever? Surely he doesn't mean whatever. Like surely it's a mistranslation, a typo. Surely not in loss. Surely not in grief, surely not in tiredness, surely not in sadness, surely not in disappointment, surely not in anger, surely there's some exclusions based on our circumstances, surely he doesn't mean whatever, but I think he does. In fact, he doubles down on it because in the next chapter, in in chapter 4, verse 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. (laughs) Whatever and always. Whatever and always. Wait a minute, Paul. Wait a minute. I want to be authentic. Let me be me. I'm hurting, I'm grieving, I'm angry, I'm sad. Don't deny me, Paul, the ability to be my true self right now. Not only does it feel inauthentic, his request, his command, his exhortation, it also feels impossible. Whatever and always. But before we write it off as inauthentic or impossible, perhaps we should consider it. Perhaps we should consider that maybe the Bible knows what it's talking about. Paul's in a dingy prison. Not there for doing something wrong, there for doing everything right. He's suffering. He's been beaten. He's cold. He doesn't know what his future holds. He writes this letter, 104 verses, and he mentions joy 16 times. Maybe Paul's found a way to truly do this. I mean, Paul knows suffering like few of us would ever know suffering. And I don't don't say that to discount any person's suffering or to make it any less, but we have to recognize there are degrees of suffering and Paul knew the nth degrees of suffering. I mean, in, in 2 Corinthians verse, uh, chapter 11, verse uh, 24, we get a little glimpse into it where he sort of like, he goes five different times. The Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes to the back. Three times I've been beaten with rods. Once I was stoned and not, you know, what you think. Uh, three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and day adrift at sea. Any one of these is a traumatic experience. He knows trauma. 
I've travelled on many long journeys. I've faced danger from rivers and from robbers and I've faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I've faced danger in the cities and the deserts and on the seas and I've faced danger from men who claim to be believers and are not. I've worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty and I've often gone without food. I've shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. And then besides all of this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak without me feeling their weakness? Who is led astray and I do not burn with anger? Paul knows suffering and yet he still says whatever and always. The guy's off his rocker. Yet when we look at Paul's life, the trajectory of it, his faith only grew stronger and stronger in his life. His love only grew deeper and deeper in his life. His hope only seemed to shine brighter and brighter in his life. His strength only seemed to get stronger and stronger. He didn't get bitter, even though he had many reasons to. He didn't run from God, even though if anyone had a reason to, it was maybe Paul. He discovered something, and he's trying to pass it on to us, about living the God life. And not just living it, but loving it. Living it and loving it. One theologian said this, rejoicing in the Lord simply means putting joy in his name, in his work, and in his being. Worldly happiness is not the same as godly happiness. Godly happiness is called joy. In the Bible, the word joy is a celebration term. It's not an emotion, it's a state of being, a choice. Thus, Paul is calling for celebration. The difference between joy and secular happiness is that the latter depends on what happens. It is circumstantially driven. So if things are going in an upward direction in my life, you feel up. But when things are going down, you feel down. This keeps you on an emotional roller coaster. But biblical joy, by contrast, has to do with the stability and the celebration on the inside, regardless of circumstances on the outside. And we must choose to rejoice in order to experience the joy that God promises us. What if discovering the ability to rejoice in the Lord, whatever and always, is the key to staying strong in your faith? This is what Nehemiah said to the people of God in Nehemiah 8, chapter 10. And Nehemiah continued, go and celebrate with the feast of rich foods and sweet drinks and share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. This is a sacred day before our Lord. Don't be dejected and sad, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And how do you get the joy of the Lord? You enter his presence where there is joy evermore. And how do you enter his presence? You rejoice in him. You rejoice in him. You celebrate him. You celebrate in him. You celebrate who he is. You celebrate what he's done. And you celebrate what he's yet to do, but promises to do. It's a practice. Whether you're happy, whether you're sad, whether you're tired, whether you're angry, the call of Scripture is celebrate God. Not just because God is worth celebrating, but as you do that, you will find joy and strength 
in whatever and always. I mean, it's not saying don't acknowledge what's going on in your life, right? It's not saying ignore what's going on in your life. It's not saying pretend your life is good and easy. That's not what it's saying. Right? It's not saying just happy, happy Christian, yes, everything's fine. We're not actually you're falling. That's not what it's saying. It's saying rise above. It's saying dig below. Find a water source beyond your circumstances. Find, lead me to the rock that is higher than where I'm at right now. This is, I, I think Paul was able to hold both in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10. He says, our hearts ache, but we always have joy. This is a, God's not saying ignore where you're at. He's just saying, go to something higher. Hold on to something stronger. Hold on to something. Practice it. Rejoice in Him. I mean, we all struggle to maintain joy. We all do. Even the Christians in Philippi did, and they had this whole joyful letter. Many things in life try to rob us of our joy. We will all experience them. Loss of a loved one, sickness, relationship struggles, a host of other problems. Any given day, and sometimes it feels like every given day, that come to try steal our joy. But whatever happens, and always rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Well, rejoice in who He is, because He is God Almighty. He is the Lord Most High. He is my banner. He is my shepherd. He is my healer. He's the Lord that is here. He is my righteousness. He's the one who sanctifies me. He's the everlasting God that will outlast all of these circumstances. He's the God who's jealous for me. He's the God that will provide for me. I'm just reading the names of God in the Old Testament if you haven't figured it out. He is the Lord who is my peace. He is the Lord of hosts. He is the creator, the redeemer, the one who saves, the lover of my soul. He's my, he's my adoptive dad. He's made me new. He's given me his righteousness. He's freed me. He's forgiven me. I'm gonna celebrate him. I'm going to celebrate. I'm going to rejoice in Him. He's never going to leave us. He's never going to forsake us. He's going to prepare a place for us and He's coming back for us. I will rejoice in Him, whatever and always. And then the verse goes on and he says, watch out. And then he goes on and says, Worthless. I just, I felt drawn to the W words today. The whatever, the watch out and the worthless. Watch out for those dogs. What's he talking about here? Well, in Paul's day and age, Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. He preached to the Jews too, but his calling was to take the gospel of Jesus beyond the Jews, who it made sense to, well, some of them, you know, to, to the Gentiles, to the people who are not Jews. I've got a bit of Jewish blood. I'd imagine most of us are Gentiles though, okay? Uh, mainly Gentile blood, but little, you can tell by the nose, okay? Um, bless the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Um, but there were Jewish Christians who thought that to come to Jesus, you first had to essentially be a Jew, in, at least in practice. 
They wanted to add to the good news of Jesus. They wanted to keep it exclusive. They wanted to keep people out. And when Paul's going, watch out for these dogs, he's defending the right of those who feel on the outside of what God is doing to come on to the inside of what God is doing. Who do we need to defend the right that feels excluded from what God is doing because people are putting other expectations on them? Who do we need to defend the right for them to come close to God? Sometimes you see this when like celebrities come to know Jesus, right? It's like, there'll be like, there's some people that will like celebrate, oh, Justin Bieber, it's come to know Jesus. And then there'll be this huge portion of the church that's like, why is he not a mature follower of Christ one day after his salvation? And you know, like there's like this judgment, right? We wanna add all of these rules. So he can't be a legit Christian because he is X, Y, Z. Right, and I get like we cannot separate salvation from discipleship. I'm not, not advocating for that in any means, but you get what I mean how we, we can sometimes be the people who make it hard for people to come to know God. We put expectations, we put timelines, we, we put things on that God is not putting on them. Where God is you know, throwing his arms wide open on the cross and saying, you know, come to me. We're sort of like, wait, 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 there's a line. Let me ask you a few questions. He's busy. I want to make sure it's legit. We've got to defend the right. God is an inclusive God. and We can't make him an exclusive God. In ourselves, we have to watch out. He's like, watch out for these dogs. But we know we have to watch out in ourselves for trusting in anything that isn't Jesus. Sometimes we can feel like good or bad Christians, right? Based on what's going on in our lives and the decisions we're making. That's a sure sign you've added something to Jesus. Now it's not just Jesus, it's Jesus plus my own ability to do enough things right that I feel like I'm doing good with God and doing it justice. And if you're feeling up or down in your relationship with God based on maybe your moral behavior, your spiritual practices, and I'm not trying to discount any of these things, but if this is the roller coaster journey that you're going on when these things are going well, you feel secure and good with God, you have added something to Jesus. It's just Jesus is what Paul says. Watch out for adding anything but Jesus. I count it all as worthless. We can move on to that word, worthless. It's sort of like a double meaning because it's saying like garbage and rubbish, but it's also saying everything else is worthless. Like if you had to rank all of the worthness of all of the things in your life, Paul is saying, if I stacked everything up, it's Jesus at the top and everything else to me is worthless. So if I have to make trades, I'm going to trade it all for what is worth most because this is all worth less. I don't know what, what you traded in your schoolyard days at school, if it was cards, marbles, pogs. Uh, I don't know what it is. These days, like I think our kids trade like skins on Roblox or something, I don't know. And you know, when kids are young, they sometimes come home upset because they've... Um, if you don't know what I mean, I don't even know what it is. It's just language that, that they say, it's just words, you know? But sometimes they come home upset as they've gone to school and they've made a trade of something and, and they realise they've been duped by an older kid or something, you know? 
because they traded something that was worth more for something that was worth less. And when the penny dropped, when they realised, they realised they made a bad trade. Sometimes in our lives, in our emotions, in our choices, in our evaluation of how we're going in life, we're making bad trades. There's something worth so much more, but we're often putting things in its place that are worth so much less. And if you hear nothing else from today's message, I want you to hear just Jesus. Don't lose sight of Jesus. It's all about Jesus. What are we ultimately rejoicing in? The work of God through Jesus. What do we want above all else? I don't wanna gain anything of the world. I wanna gain Jesus. I wanna know Him. And you know, that word know is, it's not, um, it's, it's not I wanna know about Him, right? It's not I think therefore I am. So if I know about Him, you know, like we're good. And it's not even that our world sort of sits somewhere between I think therefore I am and I feel therefore I am. You know, and it's not that either. It's not like I feel Him, like so I know Him. It's, it's I intimately know Him. It's beyond both of those concepts and about 10 more concepts. It's, it's when a husband and a wife have walked together for 50 years and they know each other. I wanna know Him. I wanna know Him. I wanna know Him intimately. And Paul says, I wanna know Him. And he tells us what knowing Him is. I wanna experience the mighty power that raised Him from the dead. Oh, I love that. It's like re-enchanting our life with God again. It's the miracles of God. It's experiencing God. Paul would write somewhere else, I want you to know the love of God, but I want you to experience it because it's too great to even understand with our minds. How high, how deep, how wide, how long the love of God is. I want to... I I wanna experience the mighty power that raised Jesus from the dead. This mighty power that helps me to overcome. This mighty power that helps me to resist. This mighty power that allows me to endure. This is what he's talking about, about I wanna experience the mighty power of God. You're in a situation in your life, what a great prayer. God, I wanna know You and I wanna experience the mighty power that raised Christ from the dead in my life. And you know what Paul would write somewhere else? That power lives in you. Let me experience it, God. Let it not just be a concept. Let it not just be a story from long ago. I wanna experience it. He goes, and we don't want this one to be a part of knowing Christ. I wanna share in His sufferings. Is that one optional, God? Can I just have the other ones? Can I just know You? Can I just know your power? Can I just experience the resurrection? Do I have to have the sufferings? Yeah, because there's only a way you'll know Jesus through sufferings. And as much as like any parent, and I'm sure God feels the same way, would like it to be avoidable, He knows it's good. And He will achieve His good purposes through it. He says, even in death, and what is the death? It's the daily death of dying to ourselves and dying to sin. This is, that's, a, that's the suffering. He's calling us to die to ourselves, die to our sin, so that I might experience the resurrection of the dead. I love it. He uses a word for resurrection here. 
that isn't used anywhere else in the New Testament. And it's because he's not talking about, he's talking about, I want Jesus to come back while I'm still in this body. That's what he's talking about. He's like, I wanna know God so much that I would experience His mighty power that raised Him from the dead. I wanna, I'm willing to share in His sufferings if I know God more in that, even unto death if I would know God more in that. But I wanna experience the resurrection of the power. I don't want it to come in another generation. I want it to come while I'm still on this earth. I want Him to come and get me. And I just think that's the way, whether it happens or not, we're all supposed to live. So it's by faith. This is is how we come to do all these things, by faith. It's by faith. The annoying thing about the word faith in the Scriptures is it's a Greek word, pistis. Yes, that is the word. And we don't, like faith is, we would probably need four English words to capture it. Like it's not, and this is how we stop salvation, like responding to God in an altar call and discipleship being separate things as we understand faith in its fullness. So the four words we would need in English to understand faith are these. We would need to know that faith in this concept of it, if I can find my notes here somewhere, um, we, we, faith would be one word, we understand that. Belief would be another word. Trust would be another word and faithfulness would be another word. Like when you read the word faith in the Bible, you should hear faith, belief, trust, faithfulness. Not just a moment, not just agreeing mentally. Maybe another way of putting it would be like this. When you read faith, you should read agreeing with God, trusting God, staying wedded to God like in a marriage and seeing the world the way God sees it. That is faith. And so it's by that type of faith, I will know Jesus Christ and I'll experience the mighty power that raised Him from the dead and I'll share in His sufferings, even in His death, so that I might attain the resurrection. Just Jesus, just Jesus, just Jesus. Whatever, watch out, worthless. Whatever happens, rejoice in the Lord. Watch out for adding anything to your journey or anyone else's but Jesus and consider all else worth so much less than knowing Christ. Let us in Auckland and here, let us come to the communion table today and make it for another week just about Jesus. Thank You for Your body broken for us, Lord. Thank You for Your blood poured out for us, just Jesus. We remember Your sacrifice. We remember Your love. We proclaim Your kingdom come until Your return, just Jesus. May we know You just a little bit more as we come to Your table in faith today, Jesus. It's in Your name we pray. Amen.